The reading today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, which is on page 1093, if you want to follow along. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Catherine, for the reading and for our, uh, Sheila, for our prayers. Let me just pray for a moment. Heavenly Father... You know what we need this morning more than we do ourselves. I confess, and we confess, we think we know what we need, probably. We've probably come here consumed by stuff or hoping for stuff or hoping some stuff doesn't happen. But Father, on, for me and on our behalf, we ask, Lord, that you would come afresh upon us and do what only you really want to do in our lives. Move amongst us, draw us deeper, we pray, into your life. The richness of your life, the depth of your life, the river of life. Break afresh over our lives today, we pray. And bring us to life, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're, in, uh, we're going through the book of Acts this year, and so we're in well on territory and essentially sort of going back to go forward uh, this morning. And obviously Pentecost is a great celebration. As I was preparing this week, I had all sorts of fantastic ideas that I was going to use, and then I decided to bin them all uh, when it came to it. You're probably going to be relieved, actually, that I bin them all, actually, as a kind of, for all your benefit. But it is of a birthday. It's the birth of the church. I was having a conversation just as we were sharing coffee outside with someone, actually with Robert, who's just become a, a grandparent. Congratulations to Robert and Eleni. But actually, one of the things about that, and there's something really inherent in this passage, is a birth isn't always gentle. It comes in a rush. It comes with a struggle. It comes with a sense of there was a before and an after. And this passage has always struck me that we're reading as a really dramatic passage as well 
as actually a beautiful passage and a little bit maybe confusing passage. Just to quietly say, I love the gentle stuff, but there are times in our life when God really wants to propel us out into what he's got for us. That actually just a gentle stroke on the back isn't what we need. I like a gentle stroke on the back rather than a kick up the bottom. Um, But sometimes I recognize that that is what I've needed. And of course, we celebrate in very different ways. When we think about Pentecost, we think about this passage, we think about the birthday of the church, it's obvious to state that actually we celebrate in different ways. I was going to blow up a load of balloons amongst other things and just get loads of them coming down, but I decided not. Because not everybody loves a balloon. Last week, we bashed some balloons around this building that they thought they were sheep uh, as a kind of way of doing things. They were dumb sheep. Balloons were dumb sheep last week. This week, there were just going to be beautiful arrangements to a birthday party. But they do feature in lots of particularly children's, but also adults' celebrations. Why am I just talking about that? Because I'm someone by personality who does understatement. I don't apologize for that. That's part of who I am. It's part of the way I'm made. On the outside, I might look very calm. I might look not very excited. But inside, I'm quietly smiling, knowing the assurance in my own heart that all is well, but you won't notice particularly, or you might just notice a little bit. It might be a sense of internally, actually, we are good with God. We're good with life. There's that sense of, I'm at peace, but actually, nobody would know it. However, I am married to somebody who... When Joe is celebrating, you know it. Ah! Oh, sorry, I've got the look this morning. (laughs) But actually, Joe or someone else to say, actually, if you watch your football crowd or you watch other teams, there are moments where actually just being understated doesn't cut it. When our kids were born, I didn't just say, oh, Joe, so well done, that was lovely. (laughs) We wept, we cried, we celebrated, we we shouted with joy. Joy comes out. Christian celebration is is celebration generally, but Christian celebration is central to our lives. In my own life, I just say, it constantly lifts my head when there's stuff in life that comes your way that means that you're going to lower your head, that's going to enable you to lower your head. It's why worship is so important and why the meditating, thinking about, considering the word of God and the nature of God will lift your head eventually. As you commit, as you get your eyes in the right place. As we did that in celebrating Marion's life, the author Larry Crabb puts it this way if you want something to help you. The Christian always has reason to celebrate. When we fail... Celebrate his grace. When we are blessed, celebrate his mercy. When others reject us, celebrate his love. I often have in mind as I go about doing some ministry, it may be a quirk of me, it may be a quirk of some of the circumstances in our generation, the story of Pilgrim's Progress. People are on a journey, people who are carrying ridiculous loads on their back that they don't need to carry. Weighed down, stumbling, 
crushed, determinedly trying to do life, in a sense, on their own, without God's help. And actually what we find ourselves caught in then is a sense of joyless duty, where actually all the challenges, all the difficulties, all the problems of your life, and trust me, we could be here all day talking about those things, because they are real, the weight is real, but we choose to carry them all. What are those things that maybe this morning we're choosing to carry on our own? Our own dreams and expectations that constantly are met. Our expectations of people we live with, people we were brought up with, people who um, live near us, next to us, people we work with, families, friends, neighbours, others' expectations can end up crushing us unsuspectingly often. Crushed maybe by our own inability to make good choices in our lives. You know, we'd all love to make good choices. But do we? I don't often talk about being addicted to making bad choices. But actually sometimes as we come before God and God starts to show us some of the stupid things we do, actually a little bit of humility won't go amiss. And I say that to myself. Lord, I'm sorry. I chose to do that when I shouldn't. I should have kept my mouth shut. Or I should have put my mouth open, got my mouth open when I needed to. Sorry, Lord. Obviously, many of you will know some of the challenges you carry around stuff to do with health and issues to do with mental health and the kind of being consumed in our culture by so much fear and loneliness and anxiety. We can't control the world around us. We long to control our environment and everything around us. And actually, all we do is just accumulate more and more stuff without God's help. The theologian who I think did go to my old theological college called Tom Smale wrote a book that I found really helpful. I read, read it, you know, 15 years ago or so. And it wasn't just the book itself, but actually it just, just the title was really helpful for me. To what the Holy Spirit is the giving gift. The Holy Spirit as the giving gift. Do you, is that how you see God this morning? That God is good and wants to give you good gifts. Do we think of the Holy Spirit like that? That the Holy Spirit is a good gift to us. Famously in Luke 11, verses 5 to 13, really well-known teaching on prayer. Jesus' teaching on prayer, I'm just going to briefly read it. It's a wonderful passage, but it's also a challenging passage. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, really well-known passage just before a story about persistence that Jesus is teaching in prayer. 
And most people, when they come to the kind of personal work of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't, isn't just instant as in one thing that's never happened before. There's a kind of sense of, as Joe talked about, we get flat, we're in need of God's life, and, and we need to learn to come to God again and just ask him to fill us with his life and his breath and his strength. I think I've said before, as someone who is... Uh, who trained as an accountant, you can be forgiven, just like to say, if you are an accountant in the, in the room. You know, I was actually a little bit suspicious of some of the Holy Spirit's work for all sorts of reasons in my life. There were certain bits of the Bible that I really valued, thought they were great. There were some bits of the Bible I thought, oh, that's a bit difficult. Maybe I'll part that for another time. And I was a little bit unsure about how much power I wanted from God. I mean, just hear the language. It's all about me. It's all about what I want to conform God into. The God I think I want to worship. The God I would like to behave in a particular type of way. And of course, as I look back now, and I've still got a long way to go in my own Christian life, I don't pretend that I've got it all sorted. But as I look back, I'm sort of slightly embarrassed at how arrogant I was how proud and how foolish I was. But it took God to break me through a whole range of circumstances for me to really start to want to long for all that God had for me and start to begin to open up some of the bits of the Bible that, frankly, I'd left to one side. And actually, at the heart is, in a sense, the rub is this little passage in Luke. Do we trust God? Do we trust God for good things? Do we see God as a good father who longs to give good gifts to us? Do you know, and partly for me, some of the things in my own guilt or my own sense of shame, really, I struggled to reach that point of actually genuinely believing God is for me. God is for me, full of mercy, full of forgiveness of grace and no absolutely right I don't deserve it but that's who God is and that brings us to that place of humility and repentance and saying Lord I want what you have for me I'll say yes one of the curious things of this is uh, as I've sort of wrestled a bit myself with this is all of us know and want to experience the best for anything. There's probably very few people here who wouldn't say that they have the best intentions to the people in your family, the people you love. Nobody likes to see deep down, unless you really are struggling with a whole range of things, um, love to see other people suffer, unnecessarily suffer particularly. We want people to flourish. We want the best for people. We want to see people move through some of the difficult seasons of life. We want to see people find freedom from some of the things that are binding them and preventing them moving on in their walk with God. They want them to, you want them to know the love of the Father. You want to know the joy of repentance and the freedom of forgiveness and that kind of inheritance that we receive as children of God are kind of made right before God. It's beautiful. We want to encourage that. And each of us will be in different places with some of those things. But God sends his spirit 
as Jesus leaves the scene. The gift of life through Christ, bringing power, loving power to our lives. See, I've often thought, particularly I say this now, and there's still times I'm tempted to do this. You know, when life's getting tough, it's kind of slightly tempting to really just try and keep God at arm's length. Do you know, I'm not really worthy of God's love. I'm not really worthy. How many people have I saved this week? How many people have I healed this week? How, how long did I spend reading the Bible this week? How long did I pray for this week? You know, we start in our own minds to ratchet up whatever our version of righteousness is. I think, Lord, just, you know, keep me at a distance. I am at a distance. But someone famously said this, Christmas is when God comes to us. Easter, God dies for us. Pentecost, God's, God comes to live and to make his home within us. The passage that we had read, really famous at Acts 2, the disciples are waiting. They know they need God's gift. The momentous events of the last week or two and last month or two are behind them. The triumphal entry, full of hope, the build-up of opposition, the trials, the agony of Good Friday, the wonder of Resurrection Sunday, the post-resurrection appearances, the splendor of the ascension, and then since then, for 10 days, these disciples have been waiting and praying expectantly that God would come in power and to dwell within them. That's what God promised. Why? So a new life could begin. A new life with God, not just all about their own human strength, but the life of the Spirit. And of course, we know this passage, God comes and fulfills his promise in wind. <sighs> Blowing through, that's just a gentle wind, not doing very well there. But actually, you know, with a violent wind, it says, a strong wind, as God comes with power upon the, on, these, on these disciples. He comes in love as well. It is a passage, as you look, as we see the men speaking all sorts of different tongues, it's a powerful passage, as well as an intimate passage, filling their lives with God's presence, making himself known, bringing them to life. God's Holy Spirit is his personal, powerful presence in our lives. But it's not just for us. This isn't like a club that we get it. He gives it to us, so then it outflows into the world. It's given for a purpose. Yes, we will know that we're never alone. When we experience God's presence in our life, we'll know that we are his and his alone. But also it sends us out in power to do some of the things we've read about in the last couple of months. A mixture of having the boldness to speak up and to find a way of speaking of Jesus, if I can put it that way for us but also being bold enough to kind of to see some of his power at work in people's lives. It propels the, the um, disciples out into the world, into mission as they speak and heal and deliver people. This account, we're probably really well known, um, is so crucial to understand what follows in the book of Acts 
fire, wind, active, dynamic, powerful? Are those all words that describe our own Christian lives? Dynamic, active, powerful, getting at work in the world. Jesus bursts in power the church into action. So what does this mean for you and I this morning? I guess most of us will have heard of this passage, will know this passage in a different way. But I'd like us to think about, I'm going to look at some of the images uh, just very briefly as a way of thinking about what might God by his spirit be saying to you this morning? You know, as we ask the Holy Spirit to, to come, what I'm also saying is, as we think about how the Holy Spirit worked through the Scripture, what do we think he might be saying to you? What do you think he might want to do in your life this morning? So let me just start five images quickly from the Bible. The dove. In Jesus' baptism, the Spirit falls on Jesus like a dove. It's an incredible picture of beauty, of intimacy. It's a great, beautiful picture of affirming who Jesus is, a place of affirmation. And it's also full of peace. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Have you heard that over your life recently? Are you constantly struggling with a sense of unworthiness? Do you need to hear the words of a father speaking to you again? Saying, I care for you, you are my child. Secondly, flame or fire. In this passage in Acts 2, the Spirit comes, rests on each of the disciples in fire. There's some famous bits of art, how this is, is represented. Classically, the fire comes to purify, to burn away the dross, burn away the muck, burn away the impurities that have found their way into our lives. And also, fire comes to give energy and vitality to enable us to want to go and bless other people, to see God's kingdom come on earth. So maybe this morning that you know you're consumed by some bad things in your life and you long to be free. And actually simply asking the Holy Spirit to come is to see God as you repent of anything you've done, to burn away the dross and the muck in your life that's actually inwardly destroying you. Thirdly, oil. I was this morning going to get a massive jug of oil and pour it over somebody but fortunately I'm not going to do it. I should have going to do it over myself but I thought that's a little bit self-lovish and I didn't want to, to say that but the blessing of the priests and kings oil is poured 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 over people God chooses you God chooses you to play his part your, to play your part in his kingdom this morning his hand is upon you. Do you want to play your part? Do you want to know to be commissioned for what God has called you to do? Beautifully also, the oil has become a great symbol of healing. 
in the church over church history to bring restoration and healing to people. Fourthly, wind, really classic in this passage, is a violent wind rushing through, propelling these disciples out into the world. Shouting to someone who some of you will know last weekend. You know, and for him, his life understands around sailing. And you may want to do good stuff for God, but you need to get the sail up if you're going to go anywhere to let the wind blow you. You need to make yourself available to be used, actually, if you want to be used, and allow God to bring his breath, bring his wind, and to use you for his purposes. To get out of bed each day with a purpose, to serve God. And then fifthly, very briefly, famously John 7, Jesus talks about living water welling up within, bringing us life and energy bring vibrancy and colour. Do you know, and over the last two or three years, I briefly alluded to it on the front sheet this week. Do you know, if you're someone this morning who's in a desert place, you know, what I'm talking about, you don't relate to, God seems a million miles away, there's no life, there's nothing going on, then actually just, when it comes to it, one of the offers is to be prayed for, actually just simply that you would know the water of life, the living water of life that would start to bring you back to life again. Maybe that's what you need. Just God to come again. So this morning, if you're struggling and it's difficult, actually Pentecost comes at a great time for you. Because Pentecost also reminds us that God is for us. He's for his people. And he's for you and me this morning. And it's not so that he's just on the outside looking in. He longs to come and to make his home, to dwell, to fill us up with life and hope and faith again. And that's what his longing is for us.